The book of 1 Thessalonians, we're in the last chapter, the last half of that chapter, chapter 5, uh, beginning with verse 12, uh, and we'll go through, I believe it is 28 verses in that. So we'll go ahead and get started here. Uh, <clears throat> we've been in this book for, uh, this is lesson 7, uh, 5 chapters, so not too bad for me. I've been known to take a chapter and make three lessons out of it just by itself, so uh, not too bad. And uh, I really wanted to do First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians as well as we'll start after that, uh, because it has a lot to do and speaks a lot to the rapture, end times, uh, the judgment of God upon the world, all of those end times uh, events and things. So. It's been a good study. Hope you've enjoyed it. We are in uh, chapter 5, verse 12, and I'll read a couple verses and we'll get started. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. There's three things that Paul urges the Thessalonians to do in this. But the first one is to recognize those who labor among you. And are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly. That's number two. In love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourselves. That's number three. So be at peace among yourselves. To recognize those who labor among you. Uh, those are those who work, not just the pastor, not just other ministers in the church, but to recognize those who labor among you. This is primarily speaking of leadership in the church, but sometimes, you know, uh, you just really need to recognize those who are serving, even if they're not in a leadership position, right? Uh, so that's what this is talking about. Uh, you don't have to have a title. You don't have to have a title to serve. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think maybe sometimes titles might get in the way of more people serving. A title uh, is fine as long as it actually describes what the person is doing for the Lord, for the kingdom. So recognize those who are among you and are over you in the Lord. So this is talking about leadership, uh, not over in, a, in the standpoint of uh, like you might find in a workplace or factory or something like that, but over you uh, in a sense of providing leadership and headship, not beating you down and telling you you're not doing good enough or you're not doing enough, whatever, but leadership and headship uh, is providing Shepherding for sheep. Right? I mean, we're all sheep. Uh, that's what the Bible says we are. We're all sheep. Uh, that's not highly complimentary right. uh, when you begin to think about the way sheep act but uh, and do, but that's what the Bible calls us, so we're sheep. Uh, and the one thing about sheep is they need shepherds. It's important. If you serve in a church, and especially if you're serving and you're over people, and notice how I said that, uh, 
defined that previously. If you're over people, then you should think of yourself as a shepherd. A good shepherd won't beat the sheep. Uh, sheep do get themselves in trouble. Uh, one of the most famous parables in the Bible is the sheep that runs away from the others. The 99 are there, but one runs away. And we kind of take a lesson from that as well, right? That the shepherd didn't say, well, we got 99 out of 100, that's pretty good. And that is good percentages, but uh, he cared enough about the sheep to go after the one that was missing. There's so many lessons in the Bible about sheep. So don't be too offended that the Bible calls us sheep uh, because there are some good traits about it as well. It tells us uh, your leaders, it says they're over you in the Lord and they admonish you. What is the word, when I say admonish, what do you think of? What does that mean? Correct? Okay. Any, any other words? Yeah. Get after you and you And it, it means to caution or to reprove but gently, right? To warn. I mean, uh, I mean, know sometimes we just need to be warned. Sheep will walk right off into a ditch. But I mean, I'm talking about a normal regular sheep. Uh, they they sometimes will do that and get stuck, uh, get injured. So uh, they need to have a shepherd there that will reprove them and keep them from getting lost and keep them from getting uh, in a ditch or whatever. So they fall down, yeah, they, they've got to be helped to get up. The commentary that I use a whole lot says this, it's a tone of being brotherly, but big brother. I remember, I was the big brother uh, in my house. Hopefully, at times I helped my siblings, and at times big brotherly, but more gently maybe than I might have done as a kid. So, uh, and it says to esteem them very highly. So we're to esteem our leaders. Uh, I have leaders. I have a bishop. Uh, I have uh, a bishop that is over him for a region, and I have a national bishop, and all those kinds of things, so so I, while I am a leader, I'm also being led, and hopefully fed as well, uh, by uh, those who, uh, as long as, you know what, as long as the sheep is submissive to the shepherd, and I don't mean that in a negative way, he'll get fed and he'll get taken care of, right? Uh, so it, it is important. Uh, and we ought to esteem those who work for the Lord. No matter what it is, right? I mean, uh, just just think if, if no one ever picked up the trash here, or no one ever cleaned the toilet, or no one ever tidied up the kitchen, or, you know, all those kinds of things, we're to esteem one another. No matter what we're doing for the kingdom of God, because we're all needed and we're all necessary, right? There is no 
unimportant job in the kingdom of God. So we're to esteem one another, and we're to do it for their work's sake. If someone is laboring for the Lord, they deserve to be esteemed. No matter uh, what that work is, or how menial it may seem, or how, or even how uh, high and mighty it might seem, uh, we're to esteem them not just because of the person, but because of the And if you can't, if you can't esteem a leader, then, then there's a problem. Either in the leader or in you. And that's the only way to say it, right? Uh, uh, and I'm not trying to be negative in this, but uh, we're told throughout the Bible to be submissive to our leaders. And, I, and when I say submissive, I'm not talking about, you know, you're a rug and Everybody walks on you, but I'm talking about uh, that we're that we get in line, and I don't know how else to say it other than that we're leadable, submissive, submissive, that we're <clears throat> not trying to just do our own thing, but everybody trying to work together to benefit the kingdom of God. And so that souls are saved. Right? That's really I mean, if we can see souls saved, I don't care if I have to play the toilet. In order to see soul sick. And I have, by the way, in this church. Because sometimes I'm here and nobody else is. And the toilet needs to be cleaned or the toilet overflowed, you know, and whatever. Uh, so, uh, you know, we, we need to esteem one another, be uh, usable for the kingdom of God, uh, and to love our leaders. And, and pray for them. I hope you pray for me. I know I pray for. You guys pray for all the leaders of the church, but really even beyond what technically might be considered leaders, I try to pray for everybody. Sometimes my mind will fail me and I'll miss somebody, but then the next time I'll remember because the Holy Spirit will bring it back to you. So uh, love your leaders, love the people in the church, pray for them, uh, and we'll all do better. Amen. All right, let's read verse 14 and 15. Paul is teaching us here relationships with one another, relationships with leaders, but also, now I know we don't have any difficult people in this church, but also how to love difficult people and how to treat difficult people, right? Uh, so, uh, so he's exhorting them how to deal with difficult people. Have you ever had to deal with difficult people? We can be the difficult person, right? Uh, so it says this, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. We're going we're gonna to give a definition for what unruly means in a minute. But warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. Be patient with all. Woo! Anybody else that step on that fast toe? Sometimes we're not as patient as we ought to be, right? See that no one rendered evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue here this what is good both for yourselves and for all. Not just what's good for you, but what's good for all. Paul exhorting us uh, as leaders, us exhorting us as 
members of the house of God uh, to do these things. So to exhort. To exhort is to tell someone what they must do, but not with a critical or sharp spirit. So exhort means to lovingly tell someone, someone what they need to do. Right? Uh, that's what that, that word means. Uh, it's not rebuking them, not condemning them, but neither is it just merely a suggestion. Uh, it's urgent, it's serious, but it is associated with comfort. Right? So, uh, exhort. Uh, in the Pentecostal Church of God, we have three levels of ministers. The very first one was called exhortions. And it gives an opportunity for people who feel a call on their life to uh, do things and, uh, and try out that calling. Uh, but exhort, the word means to tell someone what to do, but it is lovingly and in comfort and without critical spirit uh, to do that. <clears throat> Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. So there's a variety of ways here that it mentions to deal with people and what maybe category they fit into or the state of that person. So if someone's unruly, the duty of another Christian or the duty of a leader in the church is to warn them. Have you ever warned anybody? As, as, especially as a more senior people, our job, especially as Christians, but also as more senior people and hopefully more mature in the Lord, is to warn people when they're heading down the wrong path. Don't, don't let people fall off in a ditch. Don't let people, uh, you know, uh, warn them. Lovingly, obviously. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we see mistakes, and instead of telling the person, tell each other. Yeah. And we gossip a little bit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and we all can be guilty of that if we don't watch it. Uh, so, we're to, the Bible tells us to go to that person. In the morning. Say, you know, I mean, you might preface it with, hey, I love you. If I didn't, I wouldn't tell you this. But, and you might even say things like, you know, I did something similar and it just really didn't work out good for me, right? That's a warning. It, it, it's a loving kind of to say, hey, watch what you're doing here. So, unruly. I said we would define unruly. The word unruly is a military word and it is a description of a person who breaks rank. In other words, they're not marching in step with the way they ought to. They're out of order. Uh, so it's uh, one way of saying it. Uh, possibly a self-willed person uh, that may ignore a woman. But we're to warn them. Uh, we, can, we can all be unruly if we don't watch it. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm pretty self-willed and self you know, I think what I'm doing is right, right? And and I 
but I just made a mistake, right? Uh, so that but word means out of order, breaking rank, marching out of step. And then it talks about the faint-hearted. Faint-hearted. What does that make you think of when I say that, that describes faint, a faint-hearted person? Maybe Christian, not, this is kind of not focused, afraid, easy to persuade. Uh, so faint-hearted, uh, another way to describe it is timid. Lacking courage. I think all those things that you guys uh, put in there was, was really good. In need of strength. They're, they're faint hearted. We're to uphold them. What does that mean? If you're going to uphold somebody, that means they're weak. Not necessarily weak physically, though that could mean that. But weak, maybe in their spiritual walk or in their even emotionally. Sometimes people need to be upheld, right? Uh, that means to support, right? Faint hearted, to support the faint heart of those who are weak. Uh, keep an eye on them. In, in a congregation, there's going to be some faint hearted people that need. Extra attention, need help, need people to come alongside them, maybe even just put an arm around them and, uh, and talk with them and bless them and pray for them, whatever, whatever however it is that the Holy Spirit uh, encourages you to help that person who might be a little weaker, but rely on the Holy Spirit. So that, that, that's a good thing. Be patient with all. Patient with some, is that what it said? Be patient with the ones you like. Be patient with uh, your favorite people. Be patient with all. And, and sometimes that's difficult to do, right? Uh, it, it can be. Everybody has different approaches, everybody has their own personalities, everybody has their different. I'll be a really boring, dull group of people, church, if everybody was exactly like me. Wouldn't it? We'd be a, just a bunch of little millionaires running around. Right? But that wouldn't be good for the kingdom. You know, we have a tendency, if we don't watch it, to favor people who think like us, mm -hmm. act like us, go like us, do like us. So we have to be cautious and allow the Holy Spirit to really uh, help us in that. Because if not, then, we, then within the church, what do we have? We have, just like we would have in a high school, factions and cliques and uh, all those kinds of things. So we want to be patient with all, love all, uh, and, and, and that is a work of the Holy Spirit. Because that's not entirely possible just by your own will. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life to be able to be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil. Don't seek revenge or vengeance. Whew, that's tough too, isn't it? 
Because what's our natural tendency? I'm going to get even, right? You know, they turn their back to me. Man, they better watch out, right? Uh, so if we don't watch it, we'll seek our own vengeance, but we're going to let God take up our side. Let God be the one that we are pursuing, and let it be for the good of all. The Bible tells us that when we serve the Lord, that we be blessed. He doesn't always tell us how. Right? And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be blessed more than you're going to be blessed. What it means is, in general, God's going to bless us. And sometimes it won't be easy or fun, and other times it might be, right? Don't rent evil for evil. Pursue what's good for everyone. Now, Teresa and I were moving, building a house uh, in the, where we live now. We've been there 20, ooh, 22 years now. And we lived on Hanover. And we were trying to sell it, and the interest rates were kind of high, and we said, no sell. And we're building the house, we're like, okay, this thing's sold. You know, you know, I'm praying to the Lord, and you know, you said that all things are, you know, in all things, you know, uh, and, and I'm going to be blessed, and that, you know, the things are going to work out for my good, and all that kind of stuff. But that's not what that verse really says. It says that it will be for the good of all. Right? So guess who ends up buying my house? And if I'd sold it before, they wouldn't have been more qualified, they wouldn't have been able to do it, it wouldn't work out right, but another Christian family in our church ends up buying it. And I had to wait a little while. And I paid more interest than I wanted to during that time, but God blessed all of us. You know, sometimes we got to have a bigger picture uh, understanding of what the way God works. Uh, and then that family ended up selling it to another person in our church. And so, everybody's getting blessed, right? You know, a lot of people get blessed. Uh, so, uh, that, that's a good thing. Alright, let's we better keep moving. Verses 16 through 18. Really short verses, by succinct and powerful. Rejoice always. We might have to talk about that. Right? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Try to watch out. These are they're tough, aren't they? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So I know it's in your questions, but what is the will of God? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. That's pretty tough. That's not easy always, right? And impossible to do without the Lord helping us, right? Uh, and, but rejoice always. Sometimes that's hard to do. We experience some pretty rough things sometimes in this world, don't we? So how can we rejoice even in bad circumstances? Yeah. 
find something to think on. The Bible does tell us not to dwell on things uh, that are bad, but to dwell on the things that are good and a good report. So many times it, we'll find out later that it was for our good. It says, rejoice always. And you can do that because you're rejoicing in God. In your relationship with Christ. Uh, and the Bible tells us, that's not saying it. Maybe you're not there yet, but if the only time you allow yourself to rejoice is when everything's perfect and going your way, then you might not rejoice very much. Right? I mean, that's my experience. I don't know what yours is, but but we have to learn how to take joy, to rejoice, to rejoy. Uh, and joy isn't based upon happenings. That's happiness. The joy is based here in this in our relationship with God. And our growing in Him and with Him. So we can still rejoice even in the midst of trials and sorrows and uh, we better learn how to do that because the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Right? So somehow and that's only with the help of the Holy Spirit uh, and I believe in a strong prayer life as well because and being in the Word because when you're feeding yourself with the Word of God and you're in prayer then the Holy Spirit is talking to you and showing you things and you're you're realizing sometimes that all of this is not just about me and you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Does that mean that I have to constantly walk around like this with my eyes closed and be be dangerous? So what, what does this mean? We've talked about this before. What does it mean? Pray without ceasing.
I don't think God gets tired of hearing that, but sometimes there's just something to being consistent and persistently praying to the Lord. This doesn't mean that there isn't times that you shouldn't shut out everything else and all the distractions and have a time of prayer in a closet or in a place. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't do that because that's important as well. You know, we, we need to do that. You know, sometimes people just come to the Lord because of driving. You know, we never know. What have we learned about prayer? You don't even have to use your voice to pray. The posture of prayer is not necessarily important. The place of prayer can change and may not be necessarily that important. The time of the prayer may or may not be important, although I think you need to set a time if you can uh, and pray consistently that we should never be in a place that we couldn't pray. If you feel like you're in a place that you couldn't pray in, you're in the wrong place. Amen. Yeah. In everything, give thanks. In. Not for. In. In everything. So, in the difficult time. In the trial. In what might be all hell breaking loose in your life, and in the blessing, and in the good time. Because sometimes we forget to give thanks when we're being super blessed. Sometimes we struggle to pray like we ought to when everything's going awesome. Yeah, I've met that before. I don't know if you have or not. When God doesn't handle something like I think he ought to. Be honest, I'm being honest. I may tell God how to answer the prayer. Sometimes we do, don't we? Well, God, if you just do this, I've definitely said, why didn't you allow that to happen to me instead of my kids or to me instead of this person? God created us to be emotional creatures. We shouldn't live necessarily entirely on our emotions, but we have real emotions. And God made us that way. So it's okay. Me and God's had some tremendous arguments. He always won. And he was always right, but I didn't feel like it at the time. I like this quote because we've been talking about how to have joy and that we're to pray without ceasing. The uh, Charles Spurgeon quote says, when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. That's pretty good. When, when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good uh, quote there. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God. Verse 19 through 22. We're going to move forward because we're getting closer. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So, 
do not quench the spirit. Well, Pentecostals, but really just evangelical churches in general, we believe that the Holy Spirit talks to us on a daily basis. He lives inside of us. Whether you're Pentecostal filled with the Holy Spirit or not, this says, do not quench the spirit. So, what does that mean? Uh, being different, to reject the spirit, smother it out. If we do not quench it, then we're supposed to let it burn. I believe it was Paul that told Timothy, it's in 1 Timothy, tells him to fan the gift into flame. Okay? So, not only don't quench it, don't put it out, but allow the Holy Spirit and work with the Holy Spirit, right? And, and maybe blow on it, you know what I'm saying? Uh, they taught me how, uh, when I was in CPs, I had to learn some things in CPs, Carol. Uh, even as a young boy, they taught me how to build a fire. You know, I was pretty young, but I learned how to build a fire. I still remember how to do that today. And the most important thing that you can do if you really want a fire to burn, you guys know what that's happening. You, you, you allow it to get oxygen. You, you can't just lay wood on top of the fire and smother out the fire. Because if you do, it'll just quit. But it has to have breath. What, what is the spirit? It's the pneuma, the breath of God. Right? So we have to allow the spirit to flow in us and through us and don't quench it. Sometimes we can quench it by being afraid to be obedient. Holy Spirit, I'm not sure I want to do that that you just told me to do. That seems and we've essentially put that fire out and we're not obedient. Obedience is important in all this process as well. So we're to stop putting out the fire Spirit. Don't quench it. I love the commentary I used quite a bit of it. And, and it brought out something that I hadn't thought about. But anytime we draw attention to ourselves, we have the potential to be quenching the spirit. Because it's not about me, right? It's about God, God's will, God's purpose, God's plan. So if we attack something, any problem, with the viewpoint that I'm going to come in and save the day, it's going to be all about me, we're quenching the Spirit. Because we can quench the Spirit in that manner as well. Don't put out the fire. Do not despise prophecies. We're Pentecostals again. We believe in people prophetically speaking into and over our lives. And he says here, don't despise it. Be open to the voice of the Lord. Let me preface this with if you're going to listen to a person prophetically speak over your life, you ought to know. They ought to be bearing fruit. And not be a fruit of it. Okay, you know what I'm saying? So, not just be 
person that's just wild and crazy and no depth and no consistency. If you let somebody speak into your life, you, you need to know them in some manner and understand that they're gifted and anointed to speak into your life. Otherwise, we're going to talk about that. You better test it. Test what they speak over your life and into your life. Because if the Lord says you're going to Tasmania, according to this person, he's never, ever spoke to you that you're going to be a missionary in any manner whatsoever. You better test that. Because people who minister prophetically can miss it. I'm not saying I'm purposefully doing it either. You ever mess up? Yeah, we all do. So test it. And if it's totally out of the wild blue yonder, what they've told you, certainly talk to the Lord about it. Don't just take it as don't start packing your bag for Tasmania. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're married, you better make sure that the Lord spoke to your wife too, or to your husband too, right? Tests these things. It says test all things. If it is contrary to the word of God, that's an automatic. Yeah. No. Many people are driven by the dynamic, and I'm going to explain what I mean by this. So many times people are waiting on that prophet or that evangelist or that special speaker to give them a word, and they're just looking you know, all right. Always seeking the word. Always, you know, tell me something new. You know, well, you don't need that all the time. Because you got it. You sit right there at the table with you. It's got word, right? So, uh, absolutely. And if it's contrary to the word of God, I mean, you just brush it off. And it's like, that's that's not even that word, right? I'm not saying resist every prophecy either, a prophetic word over your life, but test it. Most of the time, biblically, God certainly allows for that. I mean, get it. Yeah, yeah. You know, the angel shows up and says, Hey, Almighty, man of power. And he's hiding. Trying to fresh the wheat or whatever it is, something like that, and he's hiding and I'm like, I would immediately it's like, who are you talking to, right? <laughs> then Gideon goes on to say, you know, I'm going to lay this fleece before the Lord and, and uh, if it's wet on the ground but not on the fleece, then I'll leave it. Then he reverses it. Might have been reversed with that anyway. Uh, and you know, all these things, he's in the Lord, and the angel of the Lord never gets mad at him. So it's okay to question the Lord if you're seeking to know truth. Verse 23 through 24. It says that staying from evil. I missed that, but uh, I think that's pretty uh, obvious. We're trying to follow after the Lord and lean on the Holy Spirit to be that staying from This next part talks about sanctification, which is a word that we 
confusion in Christianity a lot. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So who's doing the sanctification? By himself. That's important for us to understand. Because while you participate in the sanctification work, and you yield to it, it's God that is doing it, right? God's working in you and through you and changing you, but you're not making yourself into something different he is. May he sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved. So this sanctification, you always only think about it as a spiritual work, but this here says spirit, soul, and body. Uh, be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul always has the return of the Lord on his mind. He who calls you is faithful, he also will keep it. God himself will do this sanctification work. If we we can run from that sanctification work and not comply with what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do and how it would be changed. Because, as my pastor used to say all the time, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Right? Won't force you to do anything. But if you yield to it, you'll change your life. Right? Uh, so it, it's important. He who calls you is faithful. Church that he had started, 
that this epistle be read to all the whole book. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Probably the first epistle written by Paul. Definitely the first letter written to this specific church by Paul. As we look at 2 Thessalonians. He's saying it's important. cost you anything.